0: Love these days can be a difficult venture, whether you're a spring chicken or have trouble putting in your dentures. So let me tell you about my story, or quest, and how I won the heart of the one I like best, guaranteed to work for any age or any gender, though to some, a slight mind bender. Well, just stick with me, and I'll show you how it's done. I got the password to your heart I took a guess, it wasn't very hard Like the little kid who figures out how to start an old go-kart Oh, I got the password to your heart I used to think of fingerprint readers What it takes to get inside but a love like yours you kept secure So it's key you'll not confide Face ID is just flirtation Without multi-factor authentication The secret code you kept it classified, But I got the password to your heart I took a guess it wasn't very hard Like the guy on Jeopardy's final round thinks he's really smart. Oh, I got the password to your heart. No scan Failed to work the first time and I cried Then I tried to sing voice recognition But that just hurt my pride Infrared illumination for biometric identification The only thing that worked were these keystrokes I tried It's a capital L and a lowercase So a hyphen and a V and an E A one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight A star and a B and a T Backslash, tamper's hand, question mark, C, hashtag, dollar sign, elemental P, semicolon, birthday, I, call their phone number, another dash and a right parenthesis. Semicolon, birthday, I, call their phone number, another dash and a right parenthesis. I got the password to your heart. I took a guess, it wasn't very hard. Like when Babe Ruth knocked that ball rat right out of the park Oh, I got the password to your heart It's a capital L and a lowercase O, oh, a hyphen and a V and a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, A 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, a star and a B and a T Backslash, ampersand, question mark, C Hashtag, dollar sign, P. Semicolon, birthday I call the phone number, another dash and a right parenthesis Semicolon, birthday I call the phone number, another dash and a right parenthesis i got the Password to your heart I took a guess It wasn't very hard I only used two fingers Just like Django Reinhardt Oh, I got the password to your heart
1: Well, welcome to the Wispy Pop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host Todd Middle Initial C. Walker, and you have li- been listening to the the song "Password" by Kevin Nidig. And Kevin Nidig is out of the Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania area, and he just happens to be the 2023 Central Pennsylvania Music Award winner for Best Americana Artist. And he is on the phone with me right now. Now, hi, Kevin.
2: How you doing, Todd?
1: I am doing well, and you know. As we mentioned before we went on the air, it's been a long time, well before COVID ended up on our shores, that uh, I've seen you perform. I've always loved what you do. You were a phenomenal guitarist. And that song there and your guitar part shows that you have a really good thumb on the right hand. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's very, very difficult to do. I've gotten to the point where I can do it, and I would say in a mediocre way but it's, uh, it's something that you probably learned uh, when you were younger. Am I correct in that?
2: I uh, Man, I think the first time I learned to fingerpick, I used to, um, when I first started playing, there was a, a jam session I used to go to, like an a old-time-slash-bluegrass-slash-old-country uh, kind of jam. And some guy showed up, and he was playing Alice's Restaurant, and i think i was maybe 14 at the time and i thought that it was the coolest thing in the world and i don't think i fingerpicked anything before then and he was fingerpicking it. and I was like you got to show that to me so that was my first experience with like fingerpicking and you know i'm more of a flat picker so um you know fingerpicking is um sort of takes the back seat to that kind of stuff but uh but yeah i mean i practice classical stuff and uh folk stuff and all of that too so that's all thrown in there,
1: well, how did you start playing an instrument in the beginning? How old were you?
2: I was three when I started really? and I started playing yeah, I started playing the keyboard when I was three. My grandparents had a had a uh, an old uh, keyboard like the double double stack kind of organ thing, and uh yeah, so I would just sit there and and they would plug headphones into it, and I would just push buttons and 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 see what what they were playing see what my grandfather would play and and i would just try to mimic it you know so i had like all this ear training because i would sit there for hours and and just play and play and i would figure out songs like uh in the mood and beer barrel polka and all of that stuff just by ear you know and i think in the mood was the first song i learned when when at least they tell they told me i was playing it when i was three so that's the uh that's the first tune.
1: Well, that's a very early age to start your musical career.
2: <laughs> it's pretty young. Uh,
1: but yeah, I moved from
2: from then. Uh, I went to drums I, in the sixth grade. I started playing drums in school. And and that was mainly just like snare drum and orchestra and, and things like that. And uh, from there, I got kind of... I don't know, I got a little frustrated with the drums because family would come over to the house and like, oh, Kevin, play, play your drum. Like, okay, so I'd set it up, you know, and it's this whole thing, you got to set up the stand and put the drum on it and on my music stand and stuff. And I was really just practicing rudiments, you know, so I was going, "Dik dig, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And a few bars in, then everybody would just start talking amongst themselves and just ignoring me. And I thought, this drum stinks. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the point of playing if I'm just going to be ignored?
1: <laughs> now, did you ever so, get into playing a full kit at, at any point?
2: Um, I Well, I was in a, in a uh, rock band, heavy metal band, and uh, our drummer had their drum set in my basement. So I would get on that kit every once in a while and just play, but uh, nothing really formally or or anything like that it was just kind of for fun
1: now do you think having basically started well starting on the the, the keyboard but gravitating to playing the drums do you think that has helped with your uh, rhythmic rhythmic ability with your right hand playing guitar or guitar totally. or banjo totally yeah
2: i mean it's um i've been teaching guitar and and a bunch of other instruments for like 30 years and um and i see people that have played drums and other things before they come to guitar and ones that don't and the ones that come at guitar uh green have a different mindset like they they think about um what their hands are doing um i don't know like this kind of technical thing instead of just bringing it back to rhythm because you know you've got r- the basic forms of uh, music you've got rhythm and you've got melody and rhythm is the most important mm-hmm. I And mean, you you need you have to have both but rhythm is the most important and and i think that if you think in terms of rhythm and you can count rhythms or you can at least feel them then you just kind of layer the melody and the chords and everything on top of that rather than looking at it the other direction which just doesn't work
1: well and especially if you're a singer because sing, playing rhythm on a, a guitar, or really any instrument, but we're speaking guitar at the moment, it's much easier to sing as a solo artist over the rhythm rather than trying to sing the melody and play the melody at the same time, because you'd probably end up colliding at some point.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are some things that are easier to sing and play at the same time, but uh, some things you got to work at is like, this is kind of, you know... <laughs> My hands are doing something different than what my voice is doing, so mm-hmm. I've really gotta work on that
1: now um, now did you gravitate from the drums right into guitar or did something else come in between?
2: No, I went from there to guitar um my dad well my grand my grand and uh like my grandparents knew like three and a half chords mm-hmm. and uh and my dad knew how to play. Uh, like the power chords and, and do some, some rock songs and, you know, Aerosmith. And...
1: I think I lost you. So I will give Kevin a, a quick call back here and let's see if we can reach him. This happens sometimes. Um, cell phones are absolutely wonderful. Here he comes. You're back.
0: All right. We got cut
1: off. Sorry about that. No, that's quite all right. The um, it does happen. I was just telling people when we were in our dead spot there that cell phones are absolutely wonderful. (laughs) But, you know, every once in a while, like I cannot make phone calls from my house unless I have an extender that's hooked up to my Wi-Fi. Because Mm. I must be in that one little dead spot between towers and so forth. And if I'm on the phone in the house and I walk to my car and get in the car, if I drive three feet, people go, hello, hello, they can't hear me. And it just drops it until I get down the street. So cyberspace is a wonderful thing, but it does happen, no problem.
2: Yeah. Okay, Um, I guess I I said about my grandparents knowing some chords and my dad knowing some ACDC and stuff like that. And uh, when I was playing... Uh, drums the snare drum in orchestra i noticed like we would play concerts and things and all of the people that were playing the melody instruments got all the attention
1: Mm -hmm.
2: right like the rhythm section was like no attention at all like they didn't care
1: about us we weren't doing anything (laughs) And, and, and you're usually sitting or standing way in the back
2: right all the way in the back and um and so I thought, well, I want to play something that has melody. And I knew the guitar had melody. And you know the, the music I was listening to all had prominent guitar players. And I was like, OK, well, I want to try this guitar. And my grandfather's guitar, he had this old archtop harmony guitar. And we were never allowed to touch it. you know. And, and I don't know if I said I wanted to play it or something, or he just brought it out. And, and he showed me how to play a GC and a D7 chord on it and i was like okay well fingers go here fingers go here and and like this and he's like okay and this is how you strum and he showed me like the like the boom chick strums, like boom chick, boom chick, hitting the bass notes i'm like okay and you know in the first hour i was playing songs and switching chords and all that, that kind of stuff and uh and then i showed dad what i was doing and he's like oh okay well here's this uh aerosmith song and and i was like okay i'm watching him how to do it and i Picked it up, you know, and I think in the first hour, I I learned everything that he knew on it, and uh, (laughs) that was the end of it. But you know, it's like uh, after teaching for so long, I didn't realize that picking that instrument up so fast was not normal.
1: Very highly uh, unusual. Yes,
2: (laughs) I mean, I've had students that took six months to play a G chord. I mean, obviously they're not practicing, but it's like wow. That's, that's a extreme, but it happened.
1: Now, did you, and you said you, you, you played you, your drummer in a band. Um, now, did you, did in that band, were you the guitar player or were you doing other things?
2: Yeah, I was the guitar player. I played electric guitar then. I don't really touch electric anymore, but that's what I did.
1: Yeah. Now, when did you start singing or were you doing that in the band?
2: Um, no, we had a singer in the band. I, um, I would do the occasional, uh, harmony vocal, but, um,
0: I guess, I mean, I,
2: singing full time, like doing it for real, for real (laughs) probably didn't happen until, um, maybe I was 17, 18, something like that.
1: Because you didn't think you could do it or there were other people around you who you thought did it better. So you just didn't
2: yeah i don't i actually don't know i mean i was in chorus in school um in high school uh like 10th 12th or yeah a lot of the 12th grade i think i was in chorus and and so i was singing then but it wasn't anything that was really serious and uh i think the the biggest i was in a in a duo called boxology and we started in ninety nine, ninety eight. i forget what year that was but um Uh, I was singing a lot in in that so that was like the I think the first one of the first biggest pushes for me to sing a lot more
1: well you have a very clear vocal and that uh, can't be said by a lot about a lot of people Um, and so it well thank you oh you're welcome and it's very pleasing and the one thing it does, and I, you know, in guitar, we we talk about if so, like in a bluegrass situation, the banjo cuts through the mix, or some that the you know something cuts through the mix in a uh, band situation, and acoustic guitar, especially if their mic kind of gets lost, but your vocal being so clear must be very very good, especially when you're in an ensemble situation, because everybody can hear Kevin. <laughs> Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I've, I've always loved singers that sing high. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, well, this guy's like the Americana artist of the year from, from Pennsylvania. What, yeah. what gives? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like my favorite singers, Ronnie James Dio, uh, Jeff Tate from Queensryche, um, uh, Michael Kiska from a band called Halloween and a whole bunch of other uh, sort of German bands. Um, Iron Maiden, you know, Bruce Dickinson, like that's I love that kind of voice and um, I don't know, always just try to mimic that. And uh, um, rather than just kind of sitting in the baritone range that uh, a lot of people do. Um, I just, I, I made a concerted effort to extend my range so that I can get a little like in that higher range and, and more clear stuff. Cause that's what I, that's what I enjoyed listening to, you know?
1: Now, how did you go about extending your range?
2: So I, you know, being in chorus, um, I took a lesson, a lesson <laughs> from, uh, a guy, this, this like eight year old dude who, who, who showed me a couple of things and he was amazing. Um, I forget what his name is at this point. But uh, none of that was really getting me to where I wanted to go. I found that I was really pulling my chest voice up too much. You know, I would sing songs and my voice would start to hurt. It would get uh, very fatigued after a set, let alone playing a whole evening of, of music. And, and then I came across this uh, uh, guy called uh, Brett Manning who is a vocal coach in Nashville and he's got a whole series of things online that you can, you can check out, but it was really, um, he can't say this because somebody else owns the copyright to it, but, but he, it's basically like singing on the volume of speech, like Mm -hmm. speech level singing and um, understanding the mixed voice, understanding uh, the chest voice and the head voice and what they do and what does that mean? And, um, so anyway, I had this whole program, it was like 12 CDs and driving in my car, I would, I would practice vocals in the car, uh, going like to and from places. So like twice a day, I was doing like whole workouts, uh, doing all that stuff. And, and I did that for two years and uh, man, it made a gigantic difference,
1: (laughs) Now, was it doing scales, like starting at a... ba You're going up... Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was all of that stuff, but it's thinking about it in terms of using the vowel sounds and even things like getting a rasp out of your vocal, you know, like getting the vocal fry, like that... So like the vocal fry is where the vocal cords are just barely touching... And and so like what he says is that you just get them to barely touch and that is the beginning of your tone. So if you start there, uh, you can get that uh, very light and, and not loud and not pushed kind of sound. And and so a lot of things kind of build from there where you're you just you're you're building up the strength of the chords so that, yeah, when you when you go, high, it's, your voice isn't cracking or or breaking into falsetto.
1: Now, I would imagine listening to your your singing and how clear it is that you don't have sinus problems. I don't. Because that is (laughs) (laughs) from someone who does, that really becomes a problem when singing because it limits the range. And, you know, basically, it's almost like sticking your fingers in your ear and singing. You know how that sounds? And uh, when you have clogged Sinus passages, that's what ends up happening. So kudos to you for not having them.
2: Well, you know, I don't, I, I, uh, I am not a doctor, but I do play one on TV. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, being vegan, a lot of the, the meats and the dairy and all of that kind of stuff that is, uh, that causes an inflammatory response, um, you know the the products and the, that that we use, um, the the dust in the house. There's so many things that contribute to that. Like, like we really shouldn't have any mucus or anything whatsoever. But so many people wake up in the morning and they're just like, you know, hacking they got and mucus. They yep. got a, yep. Yeah, hacking and coughing, and you know, get it out from the end. Like, but but really, that shouldn't happen at all.
1: Now, how and, how and- long have you been vegan?
0: Uh,
2: I think it's been four years now.
1: And what led you to that?
2: (laughs) Um, it's funny because one day I was like, you know, it's like I, as a kid, my, my grandparents on both sides of the family hunted and they tried to hit, take me hunting and I just can't stand it. And, um, and I can't kill anything. I mean, if there's a bug in the house, it's, it's, you know it's got to go in the bug cup and then it goes outside.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I don't care what it is. Like, I'm not, not going to kill it. And, and so one day I had this realization that I was this gigantic hypocrite that how can I – if I can't kill, say, a cow with my own bare hands to get the meat out of it to make a hamburger, how can I, how, how can I feel good about someone else doing the same thing where I don't have to do the killing but I'll eat it? Right. And and I was like, I can't do that. That's like and and, and since I had the thought, I couldn't live with the thought of just being okay with that. And uh, and I told my wife, Steph, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I've been thinking about like not eating meat and going vegan and stuff. And she's like, that is so weird. I've been taking the same thing. And in that moment, instantly we switched. Oh, wow. And haven't gone, haven't gone back.
1: Yeah. It's unusual for two people in the the same household to come up with the same idea at about the same time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was exactly the same time and we hadn't been talking about it at all. It was just like a complete random thing.
1: Now, since I've known you, you've always been thin, but did you, when you switched over, um, to be to being a vegan eater, did you lose weight or trim up or anything, or or not really? No,
2: not not at all. I mean, I'm pretty much the same. I mean, I- I've I've uh, you know working out and things like that. I've put muscle weight on, mm-hmm. but. You know, other than that, it's uh, pretty much the same. And I know a lot of vegans eat a lot of bread and candy and things like that, because that's mostly vegans.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It kind of defeats the purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, it's sugar. It's not made from beef, you know.
2: Yeah, right. It's good for you. Yeah. It's organic uh, sugar.
1: Yeah, it's like following behind at the supermarket and the, the person in front of you and we we can't talk about weight necessarily, but their cart is full of diet sodas and diet this and, and, you know, low sugar this. And, you know, the amount of stuff in that cart, even when I drank that stuff, I don't think I could drink that much in a year, and that's probably their weekly shopping.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't really... I mean, we all have the responsibility to choose what we put in our carts, but when you look at the grocery store... 90% 90% of it is stuff that we shouldn't be ingesting.
1: Yeah, that's correct.
2: And, um, you know, I'm kind of like a, a nerd white, research stuff and and learn about stuff like on a constant basis. But I can't expect other people to know that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the all the cereal aisles are like, oh, well, this is breakfast cereal. This is what I'm supposed to have. Like, OK, well, do you know about this and this and this? And, you know, this one ingredient does this and this and you shouldn't take this. I'm like, well... <laughs> Like, how can you expect somebody to get a college degree on nutritional facts?
1: Yeah. Well, so, spe- speaking of putting things in your cart, let's talk instruments. And cool. your 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 main instrument is a guitar, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what yep. are, what are, what other instruments? I know what you play. Some of the things you play, but what other instruments do you play on a regular basis?
2: Uh, yeah. So, guitar, banjo, mandolin, uh, ukulele, bass. Um, uh, percussion things but that's that's my main i would say like the, the big three is the the guitar banjo and mandolin and and piano of course um but uh I spend most of my time with the, those top three
1: and i'm a lot of guitars out there and they may have even gone on your website which is kevin nidig dot com and nidig spelled n e i d i g and they're gonna ask you know what's your number one guitar
2: Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> I have a a Collings guitar that's a a twelve fret slope shoulder, and uh, it's awesome. It's got a wider fretboard on it, which I absolutely love. Um, and it's just just this big sound. And uh, that, that that guitar was uh, one that got crushed by a falling speaker, and somebody put it all back together and. It sounds better now than it did before, and it sounded great before. Um, and, and then I have a Husson Dalton, which is just an astonishing instrument. I mean, Husson Dalton guitars are amazing. I've never played a bad one.
1: You know, it's interesting because they're well known in small circles. You know, yeah. they're they're a you know a global quality boutique guitar firm that unless you listen to someone who plays one or whatever, not many people, you mentioned Hassan Dalton, they, they ask, is that a restaurant? <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and yet they make some spectacular instruments, not only sound wise, but looks wise.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This one is a, uh, a bolo back in sides and it is gorgeous. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I played it. Um, there's a, in uh, Pittsburgh, there's a guitar shop called Acoustic Music Works. And and the guy there, he's like, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I want something that has a little bit more of like an open, airy sound, you know, rather than just kind of like a tight uh, mid-range. I want sort of the, some of that airy sound. And he's like, I know what you're talking about. And he goes in the back and he brings this Hassan uh, Dalton out and he opens it up and hands it to me and I strummed a C chord on it and my eyes just like went gigantic. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It's yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, I just got maybe a month ago or so. I just got a a baritone guitar. That's, uh, a McAllister. Oh yeah. Which is a, which is a boutique guitar for a builder in Washington state. And, uh, it's, I, I, I don't know. It's just pure magic. Uh, I can't even can't even tell you how, how much I love that guitar. And usually, uh, you play well. I've played baritones before, and they can kind of be a little jangly, especially that B string kind of gets a little twangy. Yeah. And um, and I play this thing just like a normal guitar, and it's tuned down to A. So normally they're uh you know, the the uh, down to B low B and this neck is a little bit longer so it goes down to A.
1: Well, wow. no, I, I don't know too many people who go b- below B on their mar- baritones. I I tune mine to C sharp just cuz it it fits some like if I want to sing a Neil Young song, I have to I have to use my baritone tuned a step and a half down in order to hit his notes. I don't have yeah, a, right. I lost my tenor years ago. You still have yours. <laughs> I plan to keep it.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'll let you know.
1: Well, I have a very good friend who lives here in the Frederick area, and he just purchased a, a custom baritone. And he, he called me and he said, uh, I know you put pickups in guitars, he said, but do you do any other kind of work? And I said, well, not really. He says, could you look at this? I'm getting, you know, some, some, some string buzz on my baritone. And I'm thinking, well, even at C sharp, and I use medium gauge on that. I tried the uh, baritone strings, and they, they they were just too thuddy for... And, and the string tension was too tight tuned to C-sharp. If I tuned it down, it would have been fine. And things didn't work out, you know, um, trying to get together. And then he finally said, you know, he detuned it for the weekend. When he got back, he tuned it back up, and it's fine. And I went to that Luthier's website, and he has videos, two or three of people playing his baritone guitars... And I said to my friend, I said, you know, every single one of those guys, the guitar has a little buzz to it. It's kind of the nature. You tune that mm. string so far down, it's pretty floppy. Yeah. And it yeah, could be, these are not floppy. No, and it's a lot of its technique, as as you know better than I.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. But, you know, I'll say, um, I'm not endorsed by anyone. So anything, if I say, hey, you got to check these out, <laughs> it's just because I like them, yeah. Um, Santa Cruz guitars makes guitar strings and and they make baritone strings and they don't they don't do it by gauge. They do it by tension. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen them?
1: Yeah, I put a set on my Fairbill guitar and it's the dadgad set. And okay. um, since I tune all my guitars down to D anyway, um, a full step down and I've used them in the past and they, they worked fairly well. The and I when I used them before I did it strictly for I was writing a review on them so I didn't leave them on that long, the uh, but I wanted to try them because the on this particular guitar it has a 26 inch scale length excuse me and um, and so the string tension even tuned to D is a little tight and I thought well I'm going to try the dadgad low tension and so far they they they're working really well so do you like yours?
2: Well, yeah, so I've got the, the baritone strings, but what's cool about them is they wind the second string.
1: Ah, I did not know that.
2: It, it makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, I would, I would think it would. Yep. Does yeah, it, they're great. Did it feel weird in the beginning, though?
2: Uh, For like 30 seconds.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, because, you know, we're so used to like how things feel you know, right. it's very tactile when you, pl- when you play guitar, especially, you know, I, I, I play a lot with my eyes closed. So it's all about the feel. And so when I go to that second string and you feel whining, he's like, wait, is that the third string?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but, but I was like, no, that's not it. And you know, then it was done. So,
1: well, I, I'll have feel. to, I'll have to try those because I'm the, um, I'm liking the dad gad version. And I'd be curious to see how much of a difference there is because obviously dad gad is not, tuned fully down. Um it'll be fun. I'll I'll try some of yeah. those.
2: Yeah, let me know what you think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The um and you also play you said banjo. In mm-hmm. fact I play claw I'm sorry? I,
2: I play claw hammer banjo. That's my main style.
1: And you teach that as well, I think. Yeah. And uh, I have a, a, a daring Good Time banjo that I purchased probably six or seven years ago. And I have seconds of brilliance on that thing. I mean, just, you know, two or three seconds and then I'm done. And I tried learning <laughs> Clawhammer myself. And it's and I'm sure you'll agree with this. It's like anything else. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. And you slowly get better as you go along. And sometimes you actually have to put it down for a day or two. When you come back, you're better than when you left it. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I got to a certain point, and I just didn't, I guess I lost interest because I, I didn't think I was getting any better. And I thought, you know, I think I saw, and this is even before COVID, I think I saw on Kevin's website that he teaches Clawhammer. I should contact him because it's not that long of a drive from Frederick to get up to where you are.
2: I yeah, saw, and I, I don't teach in person anymore. I just, I just teach
1: online. Well, you do it like a Zoom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, f- it works great yeah and you find it works just as well as if the person's sitting right in front of you
2: yes i mean i and and the bonus is i the whole lesson is recorded
0: well that's true and yeah.
2: and yeah so i create a, a a playlist for everybody they can access all the time of every single lesson from start to finish and uh and so it makes it nice for them because if i you know i say things and and you know, during normal lessons, people forget. And at least now they don't have an excuse.
1: <laughs> well, and you do, let's see, I'm going to, I'm on your website right now. I'm going to okay. go to the store and you have mugs and hats and masks and book, spiral notebooks and things like that. But way scrolling down way to the bottom, you have, for one, you have brand new boundless guitar video workshop, uh, flat picking classical music video workshop, Clawhammer banjo duets, which is, I assume, that's not necessarily an instruction one. And then advanced finger style work and uh, chrono mantra, mantra, is that, that's probably more performance, I would imagine.
2: That's a meditation CD, actually. Oh, okay. It's got, like, binaural frequencies and things like that on it.
1: Gotcha. So people could... If if they didn't want to do the zoom, they could purchase some of these workshops and get some some uh, instruction on those. I would imagine.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think any of that. Like you said, with the the claw hammer one, that's definitely not a beginner's book. Right. Um, there are some things that are easier to play in there, but there's there's no like here's how you do it. It's like you you know how to do it. Here's here's some tunes playing uh, melody to uh, normal pill tunes on the the banjo um the advanced finger work guitar book is not for beginners either it's it's like a kind of a study in playing uh uh, scales and arpeggios starting in a low position of the neck and working up like two or three octaves in one thing so it's a lot of position shifting kind of stuff um and i think uh, th- those workshops I had done, they were like online workshops that, that I recorded and I just kind of put them into a video. So, um, yeah, well, so th- I don't really have anything in book form. That's, that's beginner stuff. I usually, at least for now, anyway, I keep that stuff for just one-on-one, which I think is, is better in the beginning.
1: Oh, I, I, I would agree because if someone has a, a, a book or an ebook or whatever, It's so easy to get sidetracked, but if you have someone who's going to hold you accountable and and who can respond to and and listen and go, "Mm, you didn't practice this week, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you're talking about advanced guitar work, here's a little thing that's on your, your homepage for people to listen to. It's only 17 seconds long. It's called Riff Number One. We'll let people hear it. I love the way you you end with a chord. That's good. <laughs> now, yeah, that's from. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead.
2: That's from uh, a course guitar course called Riff Monkey. Mm-hmm. That uh, and that's on a. It's all sound slice stuff. If you're familiar with what sound slice is, um,
1: I'm but not- you go on there. And
2: it's a. It's basically like. Um, it's a website that allows you to have tablature on the screen with a video and then there's there's like a little scroll bar that goes across the tab so you can see the notes in the tab as it correlates to the the video that's happening. It makes it really easy because you can you can kind of loop say just one measure and just have it play that over and over and over again and you can slow it down and so all of, there's all these like cool learning tools all in that one piece of software.
1: Now I do want to ask you about your courses and teaching the way you teach was it a slow process for you when you first said oh i I might teach people how to play guitar and stuff Uh, did you sit down and come up with a you know a lesson plan Uh, how did you go about getting from day one to where you are now
2: i had a guy like i said i was going to that jam session when i was a kid and i had this guy who was you know 35 years old and he wanted to learn how to play AC/DC tunes i'm like yeah okay he's like i'll i'll come to your house and i'll pay you five bucks a lesson you can show me and i'm like okay and i want my mom i'm like can we do this she's like yeah so we go and go to my basement and i'd show him how to play like back in black and stuff like that and then he'd hand me a five dollar bill and go and <laughs> you know so that was my my first experience and it was like oh and it wasn't anything that i set out to do it just kind of started happening where people were asking me oh can you teach me how to do this and um and i just kind of figured it out along the way um i uh i don't have like a strict lesson plan i have i take every student as they are because if they are i don't know for instance let's say some, uh, 50 year old comes to me and they're like, well, I've never played guitar before and I want to learn how to do this. Well, I'm not going to really teach them how to, uh, sight read standard notation and go through a whole bunch of stuff. Like I just want them to get enough that they can hurry up and play some songs for their, you know, for their friends and stuff, or sit, at sit at home and just enjoy playing a couple of songs that they enjoy, you know, without really, uh, getting into the, the really into uh, the weeds with theory too much and, and stuff not that we don't do that but that's not my first priority but if somebody is young and and they're like 10 years old 12 whatever then i'm going to say "Well, you need to learn how to read music and we're going to do this and this is the book and you know people learn differently too so i have all these different uh books that i use and some move pretty quickly and some don't and some teach different things. And I mean, I've got a whole bookshelf, just tons of of music books that I've gone through. And and I just kind of pick and choose to what I think that that particular student needs.
1: Well, the fact that you're still teaching, and I think you said after 30 years, you must enjoy it.
2: I do. I mean, I, I, I enjoy performing much more. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, but I love teaching because it's, you know, I, I don't know, like when you, if you teach somebody, there's got to be an intuitive kind of thing. You have to be able to look at someone and not only um, adjust to their personality, adjust to their likes and dislikes, but you also need to be able to diagnose what they're doing wrong so that you can make it better. Mm hmm. And, and sometimes I've, I've seen people, uh, other teachers do things and, and it's like, well, this is the way I do it. And you just need to do this. You right. know, there isn't, there isn't any kind of like, I'm going to get into the student's head and try to figure out how I can get them to do what I do instead of just going, well, if you're not doing it right, it's your fault.
1: <laughs> well, no. And that's the, that, to me, that would be the best way. It's, it's sort of like when you're hungry and you haven't gone grocery shopping shopping for five days and you open the refrigerator and there's nothing specifically jumping out at you and you say, okay, I'm going to work with what's here. So what you're doing then is, is taking the, the student, whether they're beginner or intermediate or advanced and saying, okay, what's here? What can I make and how can I help them become better? Am I correct in that? Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. And it's tough these days because, um, I mean, it's getting it's getting tougher for teaching as long as I have. I see people wanting more of the instant gratification instead of seeing uh, where I want to take them. Like, I I see where you are and this is where I want you to go. But it's going to take us probably two years to get there. Like, what? Yeah, I can't get there next week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, you know, having run open mics for so many years. And and I don't do it any longer because I just did too many of them. But I enjoyed every one of them. And some of the open mic performers who were strictly an open mic performer, they would work on a song for two hours before the open mic and they would perform it with the music in front of them or try to remember it. And then I started seeing them um, just before COVID hit. And they'd be advertising that they were playing at a winery or they were playing somewhere. And I'm thinking, gosh, they must have gotten incredibly better in the last two years. Mm. And the, um, no, they didn't. They just jumped, you know, and it's, um, you know, you need to be proficient enough to become a good performer and depending on the venue an entertainer of different levels because if you're a musical wallpaper you're not necessarily an entertainer because that's not your job but you need to have all facets of that and it needs to be at a certain level before you should go out and expect people to pay you for it and so absolutely and so i like your idea of you know taking someone and i do agree with you the instant gratification and that's the unfortunate part of our modern computer world there's so much stuff on the internet. I mean, I remember listening to albums back in the day, trying to figure out how to play something. And then I, when I discovered a music shop in downtown Boston that had sheet music, I was like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. And today you just Google the song, how to play it, and bingo, you get 15 different versions of it. And it's instantaneous.
2: Right. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I growing up, I learned so much and still do all by ear yeah. yes i can read music i can do all of that stuff but nothing beats being able to listen to a song and then just play it and uh it, it's it's much faster than just reading the sheet music um and the only way you get there is by training your ear by listening and and uh and trying to figure it out and i think that when there's so much stuff like oh well here's how you do it I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, we need that kind of stuff, obviously. But when it's all just that, then the ear doesn't really get trained the same way. And I mean, I remember as a, when I was like 16, I had a friend of mine that was playing gigs, and he was doing open mics like you did. And he was like, well, cool, come out and play with me. Like, okay. And he would pull, pull me up on stage, and I'd be standing behind him. And, and he said, oh, we're going to do this song. Do you know what? I was like, no. He's like, oh, well, you'll figure it out. And he'll just start playing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I don't know the key. I don't know the song. I'm plugged in. I'm turned up. You know, I can't see his hands. All I can go by is what my my ear is hearing. And I was able to do it. I mean, it was stressful, but but I did it. And and I think that um, a lot of people are not going to have that that ability, that kind of a skill to be able to be uh, to jump into a situation like that. And And you need that
1: well the, the the better thing for him to have done was to say we're playing this song in the key of c 145 right. so so that you knew you know you might not know when the chord was going to change but you could figure that out pretty quickly as long as you knew which chords he was going to be centering the song around so right but uh that it's i have a couple friends who are very very good at that um what i call Ear, their ear is so 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 good. Whoops! And I didn't mean to hit that quite yet. I, I, I'm going to play that in a moment. But the uh, my I was reaching to turn off the. I had an incoming phone. I was trying to turn it off, and my hand hit the mouse. So I started to play wow. that. The um, well, let's go there. Actually, the when we were talking about clawhammer banjo, you have this um, video on your site. And was it This Moment is Inevitable, I think is the title of it, isn't it? Yep. And it's it's strictly instrumental. We won't play the whole thing because it's four, four minutes, 46 seconds. But I want people to hear what someone who plays claw hammer banjo really cleanly sounds like. Is that fair?
0: <laughs> okay.
1: All right, here it is. not really a traditional claw hammer it's more melodious um, but you are in a way playing claw hammer on that aren't you in a way oh,
2: oh yeah I mean it's definitely claw hammer I do um, it, it's just not like old timey music right um, I mean I play that but you know when I when I wrote that song I, I just I was messing around I was doing some different things and exper- I think it was a B minor tuning I was experimenting in that and then this kind of like uh, you know, haunting, minor, Middle Eastern sounding epic song started coming out. <laughs> <laughs> now is should... but um.
1: No, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say that uh, when you play clawhammer, everything's a downstroke. You know, you're 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 downstroking with your your middle or your index finger, and you're down with the thumb. And uh, and I, sometimes I I will pick up certain things um, that uh, most claw hammer players don't do so you get a little bit of a different sound because there's different there's a different um, uh, attack that comes from doing that sometimes
1: well and i'm not a mandolin player and as i mentioned earlier i'm not a claw hammer bit or old-time banjo picker but i know that many Mando players in groups, they do that downward stroke. That I call it the chuck, you know, and it's, it is, it's, it's percussive and it is a downstroke. They use the up, the combination of the down and up when they're playing lead lines or melody lines. So is it kind of consistent between the two instruments? It's, it's, tradi- it's um more downstroke than, than, than not.
2: Um,
1: I'm probably totally wrong.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 the mandolin is is, uh, a lot of alternating. It depends on what you're doing. I mean, um, if you listen to something like a Sam Bush kind of mandolin rhythm, where he does a lot of that chopping, he gets... So Sam Bush was a drummer before he was a mandolin player, too. So you can hear that, all those rudiments and things coming out in his rhythm playing. And it's more the... Than just a boom, check boom, check boom, check 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 there's other things going on in between those beats um but yeah on the on the banjo it's it's all i mean aside from my little weird picking up with the finger it's all downstroke and then all of the other eighth notes that happen in between there would would happen with like a hammer on or a slide or something like that it's kind of magical cuz like when i saw somebody play clawhammer banjo for the first time I just heard all of these notes coming out of the instrument, and it didn't look like the hand was doing anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was like, what is this? <laughs> how is this happening?
1: Yeah, so no, I it, had to know how to play it. Yeah, because cause the hand is kind of crimped. You don't see the fingers move, because it's the fingernail, generally, that's hitting the string. So it's almost like a flick, in a way. I know it's not, because it's supposed, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's supposed to be a wrist movement rather than a flick, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, you don't want to flick your fingers. Yeah,
1: that, that was my big problem. And that comes from playing guitar for so many years because I use that flick when I'm strumming without a pick.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the weird thing, especially if you play fingerstyle guitar, you're used to having the thumb play the low note. Yeah. But on the banjo, the, ba- the banjo, the thumb plays the high note. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that weirded me out in the beginning, because I was so focused in on the sound I was hearing is so much that with the ear that would play that like, That's not right. And like, and I just couldn't get that, that, uh, that bum ditty rhythm. And, uh, and I just had to, you know, rep, like you said, repetition, repetition, and all of a sudden, it became like riding a bike, like as soon as I got it, I got it.
1: Now, do, how do you tune your banjos? Do you tune them lower than normal? Or you tune them in in what most people would consider standard?
2: it's it's different um like standard tuning like your open g tuning i'll do um my favorite is double c which is uh uh c uh, I'm sorry c g c d with the, the the high g stays the same um but then there's like modal tuning or or they call sawmill tuning or g modal tuning um i'll do um there's a there's a bunch of tunings on the banjo and a lot of times like these, You think about these old dudes that sit in the, in the Appalachian Mountains when they're playing on the porch by themselves. They're, they're figuring out these tunes that the fiddle players are playing, and they're trying to figure out, what is the easiest way I can play these notes? So they go into these crazy tunings, so you can basically play these tunes with one finger, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, there's a lot of crazy tunings out there.
1: Now, how often do you play the ukulele, or ukulele, I guess is the pron- correct pron- pronunciation?
2: Um, when I was teaching it, I was playing a lot more. I don't really touch it anymore unless I'm, if I'm recording a song and I want uke on it, like some kind of thing then I'll pick it up and put it on, but it's not something I practice. Um, I, I, I practiced it enough to get the ins and outs and some of the, the little, uh, techniques that you can do on it. But, um, yeah, I basically use it as, as texture in recordings. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, like I've got a guitar that has Nashville tuning or high strung tuning, they call it. And, you know, it's like, I don't practice that. I just, you know, put it into into the mix if I want that sound on there.
1: Well, when you when you record, excuse me, and I'm assuming you record at home, you have your own studio set up. Yep. Do you do all the instrumentation or do you have other uh, uh, performers coming in and help you?
2: I mostly do everything myself. Um, i um, is it is it the long road? I think I think my album. No, no, no. Wait, <laughs> uh, can't go back. Sorry. Or I've been there. That's the name of the album. That one has uh, Bruce Campbell who played upright bass on that. But um, yeah, everything else, I'll play all of the instruments. Uh, I I really like doing that. It it keeps it consistent because I have an idea of what I want it to be in my head. And sometimes trying to get other people to play what I want can be a struggle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'll just avoid that confrontation and just do it myself.
1: Now, what do you use? What's your setup for recording microphones? And, uh, you know, what program do you work with?
2: Um, so right now I have a Mac studio that I record on. I have, um, an Apollo, 4x which is a universal audio interface and they have their own uh DAW which is called Luna and I moved I I used to use Logic all the time and then I moved from Logic to Luna just to try it out and I slowly well not slowly I quickly fell in love with Luna so much more than Logic so that's all I use now um and Microphones I have um I have some pretty crappy ones. <laughs> microphones are expensive. They are. And just like everything else, you know, it's like I it's like, okay, if I here's a microphone that I want and it's like fifteen hundred dollars or it's two thousand dollars or something, it's like, man, I gotta save up for months and months and months just to get a microphone. But there's this guitar that I would really like at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's always this either or. And, um, but over the years I've, you know, like I said, I've got some crappy mics that I just don't really use, but I have a, um, an AEA ribbon mic that I love. It's, it's, uh, is it 84A for 88A? I don't know. It's the one that looks like a pill. Okay. Um, it's kind of based on one of the old Sony or, or, or one of the old, RCA ribbon mics from like the 40s or something. And it just sounds great. Um, and I've got a, a Royer, um, it's like the 122. It's a ribbon mic too, but it, it has the, like you can use phantom power with it. Mm-hmm. So it has the preamp built into it, which mm-hmm. is nice. Th- those are my two expensive mics. And then I have uh, um, an AKG, something that I use for vocals. And it's not great. And and I just recently got uh, two of the Universal Audio pencil mics, and they something happened to them. They're actually uh, coming back from the shop tomorrow. They're, I had to send them back and get them repaired. But um, those are really nice. I mean, for they were like four hundred dollars, and they it it really upped my game. I had a couple of pencil mics, the Samsons. And they were like 130 bucks for two microphones, you know, so not very expensive. And man, I had such a hard time trying to get those things to, um, I don't know, there's always like these high end frequencies that would be kind of shrill. And I try to tame that down and it would just kind of ruin it even more. Um, and, and these uh, UA mics don't really have that as much. But uh, the room is treated, I've got stuff on the walls. Um, i've got some jbl studio monitors and you know they're not the best but you know for the for for the budget they work
1: well i i had watched your video before we before i um, reached you on the phone of you doing um glenn campbell's wichita lineman Mm. and the you can see the soundproofing panels behind you with the guitars lined up and off to the right of the screen is is one of your banjos but what are you recording in a situation like that? Because we cannot see the microphone or microphones. Are you using <laughs> I, one of the ribbon mics and it's picking up both the guitar and the vocal? Or do you do you have like a, a shotgun mic coming down at you?
2: No, I, I try to keep the mics out of the picture. I, I want it to be like as natural, like you're just kind of sitting in front of me and there's nothing going on. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know, just an aesthetic thing. But it's just, um, what did I use for that? Um, it might've been, I think it was just one mic. I think I I used my AKG. Um, yeah. And I run that into the Apollo and I do some, you know, post-production on it. So it's not, you know, I put a little reverb on there. Um, and I just try to get any kind of resonant frequencies out.
1: Now, since you're picking up both the vocal and the guitar, do you place the mic slightly high so it's not out in front of the guitar, it's up a little bit so it catches more of your vocal? Because a lot of people who record, when they record on their iPhone, they set it down on the coffee table and then they send me an MP3 and you've got this loud guitar and this voice kind of in the background and there's no way I can EQ it because it's one sound file. The, um, so I would imagine, yes. So you are a little bit higher on the mic to be able to pick them up in a kind of a balanced way.
2: Yes. Yeah. But I also have a secret weapon.
1: What's, <laughs> what's that?
2: <laughs> so <laughs> there's a um, uh, Isa You know the company Isotope. They make mm-hmm. plugins and things. Yeah. So they have they have a thing in the the ozone mastering plugin called Master Rebalance and it's so cool because if i record vocals and guitar on one mic i can take that and it it knows i mean it's it's not absolutely perfect but for this kind of thing it is because it'll take the vocal and i can turn the vocal up and down even though it's a mono file wow yeah so if if i record it like man that was a great take but the vocal is quiet i just throw it into master rebalance and boost it up a few db and boom it sounds perfect
1: well, you get a very clean um, recording sound to all of, and I'm assuming of the CDs that I've listened to or some of the videos, like you said, that's all you recording in your home studio, and you, you get a really good sound, especially on the guitar. And I know you're, you're a guitar whiz, and so that's probably, the sound of the guitar is probably very important to you, and it comes across that way. I mean, it's really, really good.
0: Well,
2: thank you. Thank you. I, you know, like the mixing thing has been like something I absolutely love, but it's also kind of the bane of my existence because I'll record something and I'm like, man, that sounded great, and I'll listen back and it sounds terrible. I'm
0: like, what happened?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's just like this ongoing learning process of uh, what mics to use, the mic placement. Uh, should I use compression? Should I not use compression? uh, you know, what frequencies are sticking out. Oh, like, you know, 3.5 K is too much and it's getting this kind of sound and to turn it, all of that stuff. It's just kind of maddening. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I've listened to albums that have to me the best acoustic recordings ever. And I'm trying to match that Yeah. <laughs> in my, in my studio. That's not like, you know, it's just a small room upstairs and, uh, and, and I know these other great recordings were recorded in a larger room with, like, you know, beautiful sounding rooms. So
1: well, I do what I can. David Gray from England recorded his White Ladder CD, which was his most popular, from his bedroom with the window mm. open. And you can, <laughs> I've never been able to hear it, but they say you can hear cars driving by and things like that. And I think it was on garage bands. I could be wrong about that, but it was in his bedroom at his house. So you can get really good recordings in a fairly simple setup in your home as long as you get soundproofing that's the big one because so many as we we notice we see a lot of these instructional videos they're performing it in their kitchen and you get this hollow echoey because sound is just bouncing everywhere and i love reverb to a point when you when it's added and unless it's a big performance hall where you get the natural reverb i don't want to hear something where there's no soundproofing so you get a clean signal and you you seem to have really mastered that so congratulations to you
2: yeah thank you i mean like the the reverb in a room if you get the slap yep you you know where it's found that just will ruin everything i mean you'll get phasing canceling frequencies and all that kind of stuff but you get a larger space the slap goes away but you just get this beautiful wash yeah you know and that took a long time to understand. That I mean, sound is a an interesting thing to me.
1: So, what's in the future f- for you? I am looking at your your calendar, and um, of course, July is pretty much over. The um, you've got a mandolin ensemble coming up on the what's that the thirteenth of, of August at uh, in Dillsburg, PA, and you've got an online guitar warm up program. But uh, so, what's your plan as far as live performing moving forward? And I know it's been a slow growth after COVID.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, playing out a whole lot more. <laughs> things are, things are like I said, they're starting to, to move um, a lot more. Uh, I'll be in Connecticut this weekend. Um, yeah, well, the mandolin ensemble thing's going on. Um, I'm in the middle of recording a new album. Um, you well, know, a lot of people, go
1: ahead. I was going to say, tell people why you're going to Connecticut.
2: Oh so the Connecticut thing is uh Falcon Ridge Folk Festival and they have this thing called the Emerging Artist Showcase and people send submissions I assume from all over the world I, I don't know if it's just uh national or not but um they judge it and they and they pick uh 15 people from from that list to showcase on the on the main stage and then uh, they are chosen I, I think they pick 3 people um, maybe maybe it's 4 but they but, but they pick those to come back next year and actually do sort of like a songwriter in a round kind of thing as like a full main feature and um and the ones that won last year um, are actually getting booked as a group so they're getting all these other shows based on that whole thing. So it's it's kind of interesting. So I was selected for that, um, which is actually the second time I've been selected. I think it was like
1: seven years ago I got selected for that. And so that should be fun. Yeah, and that's this coming weekend. Yeah, that's Friday. And what part of Connecticut? Uh, it, it,
2: Goshen, Goshen.
0: Um,
1: I'm I'm assuming it's probably in the northwest. Part of connecticut but I, I could be wrong i'm not exactly sure where goshen is and yeah. i'm from new england but uh, you can't know every town right yeah i have to wait for apple maps to tell me <laughs> <laughs> well i wish you the very best of that i hope it it'll be a fun experience but i hope that you become one of the three that they invite back to play on the main stage next year that would be so cool well thank you yeah, yeah you'll, you'll have to keep me updated on that definitely and I thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, if people want to know more about you, how can they reach you? What's your preferred way of communicating with people or getting your your news out to people?
2: Uh, definitely go on my website, com and sign up on the mailing list there. That's the best way. You can find me on Facebook. Send me a friend request or, or whatever on Facebook. Uh, YouTube, I have a—my YouTube channel is— acousticwisdom.com and that's usually where i post all of my my videos i've got some like bluegrass flat picking things that i just put out and uh music videos and all that kind of stuff is on there but yeah my you can contact me through my website if you're interested in lessons um if you're interested in the guitar warm-up program i do that every second saturday and that's a lot of fun and that's for anybody um acoustic electric whatever
1: yeah i think that's about
2: that about covers it
1: well thanks again for chatting with me kevin it's been great catching up with you like i said i i haven't seen you gosh i think it's probably like 6 or 7 years and i've always enjoyed watching you and listening to you and i marvel at your guitar virtuosity let's put it that way <laughs> well, and how easy how easily you you do it um because whether it's difficult for you or not, you make the rest of us think you're just doing it as if you're walking to the car to pick up the mail or something. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I fooled him once again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, you have a you have a wonderful rest of the day, and we will hopefully chat soon and find out what how the um, Falcon Ridge goes.
2: Definitely. You as well. Thank All you. Right.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. Bye-bye now. See ya. Well, that was Kevin Neidig. Great conversation. He's a wonderful guitar player. And as you heard on some of the uh, the little track there about the instrumental with the claw hammer, and I would call it kind of uh, boutique claw hammer playing. Just wonderful stuff. And we're going to end the show with his song. And if I've got it correct on my little button here, this is his song, Minor John.
0: When Minor John and Thomas Poole was sitting blessed for fossil fuel. A tiny fuse, no workman knew, was waiting, lit down in that hole. It was close to quitting time. Monday evening in the mine. Let's blow this hole an easy one. So... Oh.
1: The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd Walker, at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series please feel free to share the link, wispymoppa.music.podbean.com or you can find it on all the podcast channels, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc. And thanks again to Kevin Neidig for joining me today, and we'll catch you folks later. Thanks so much.